Welcome to the preaching podcast of Poplar Springs Baptist Church in Hiram, Georgia, and the preaching ministry of our senior pastor, Wayne Meadows. It is our desire that the message you hear today would call you to a closer walk with Jesus Christ, and that your life would give glory to God as you apply the biblical truths proclaimed. For more information about the ministry of Poplar Springs Baptist Church, check us out on the web, www.psbchurch.net. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the preaching of God's Word. All right, let's get into the Word tonight. 1 Corinthians Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians 9. uh, We'll give our attention to verses 24 through 27. This Friday, uh, as many of you may know, uh, the Olympic Games will begin. Um, I I enjoy sports. Sports have always been a part of uh, my life. Uh, Some of my uh, memories from childhood center around playing sports from my earliest days. Enjoy watching sports still. And I uh, have always in- enjoyed the Olympics as well when they roll around. It's always uh, something we've enjoyed having on and uh, seeing the athletes. And, and I think one of the reasons sports uh, is really so intriguing to so many of us are because some of the feats that we see performed in the actions of those athletes. Uh, how many times in just a regular baseball game or football game do we see replays taking place? And the announcers, the commentators are going, man, would you look at this? 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 And uh, we're wowed. We're awed. And, uh, man, we're just blown away by some of the feats that these extremely gifted people can perform. Uh, and I think that says something about us as human beings. We are people who are made to be awed and wowed. Uh, the question is not, will we be awed or wowed, but what ultimately will awe us or wow us the greatest? And that, of course, should be God himself. Uh, he, he should be the most majestic, the most glorious. Uh, he, he should be the greatest awe to us uh, than anything else in this world. But sports certainly helps us understand that about our, our humanness. Uh, but as I think about the Olympic Games beginning, and if I'm honest tonight, I'm not quite as excited as I have been in past years. Unfortunately, with all that's happening in our world today and culture today, even uh, the sports fields have, have fallen victim to the uh, politicalization of our world today. And that's disheartening to me uh, in, in so many ways. But I am still amazed uh, and impressed uh, when I think about the Olympic athletes and the dedication that they have put in place to get to where they are in their respective sport. The time, the energy, the sacrifice, and the training. And uh, as I think about that, I'm always reminded of what the Apostle Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. He said, train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. Uh, Athletes spend an incredible amount of time uh, training and uh, investing in becoming the best that they can be at their particular field, their particular sport, Uh, training their bodies, conditioning uh, their lungs, training even their minds to to operate it at peak performance. And all of us in some areas of our lives, we train, we equip ourselves for something. But Paul reminds us of greatest importance is training ourselves for godliness, for godliness. And tonight, with the Olympic Games on the horizon, uh, I, I want to just speak to us uh, about that, that theme, that idea, training for godliness. And, and what I'm really getting at uh, are what we often refer to as spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines. 
And uh, I want to just speak about this tonight in a broad way and, and perhaps in the next uh, several weeks uh, after we meet off campus next week, we'll, we'll look in some more detail at some of the spiritual disciplines in a little bit different fashion, I feel like. Um, but tonight I want to talk about training for godliness. And I want to kind of present it to us in this way, the difference between trying and training. The difference between trying and training. And that's a big difference right there. A big difference. Before we get to 1 Corinthians 9, uh, I I want you to imagine uh, in your mind right now, uh, and I think I've had you do this before, uh, but imagine in your mind right now an airplane. An airplane. All right? Let me ask you a question. In that picture that you have formed in your mind of your airplane, how many wings are on your airplane? I hope it's two. Because if it's not two, you're not getting very far, right? Uh, you got to have at least two wings on the airplane to get you anywhere. Um, so if it doesn't have at least two wings, you are in big trouble. Well, there are two wings to the Christian life as well. There are two things that, that we need to, to soar in the Christian life, uh, or to put it another way, to give us balance in our Christian life. One is the wing of salvation. The other is the wing of sanctification. If you don't have either one of those in your life as a Christian, you're not going anywhere. Anywhere. Salvation, obviously, you're not even a Christian. But sanctification as well, growing in our salvation, which is what sanctification is, we need that also. We need both of these. Uh, I know some Christians uh, that the emphasis always falls on their salvation, and they're never growing in that salvation. Uh, Listen, we never get over what God has done for us in the gospel, but we've got to grow in it. We've got to seek to understand it more. So the airplane that you have has two wings. But at the same time, your airplane in some fashion also has to have propulsion as well. There's an engine that's driving that plane. All right? And I don't know what kind of engine you may have had in your mind's eye, but in my airplane, on my airplane, um, there's, there's engines under each wing. You've probably flown on a plane like that before, right? You can see, I don't know that I like to sit right there and look out the window at the engine the whole time as one that has kind of an engineering background. In my mind, I'm thinking about all the moving parts and all the things that are in there, and I'm like, hmm, this, this may not go so well. A man made that. Uh, that always, um, always, you know, keeps my mind occupied while I'm flying. Uh, but each of those engines is vitally important. Well, in the Christian life, the engines underneath the wing of salvation and the wing of sanctification are similar, the same, and that they're both fueled by grace. They're both fueled by the gospel. What propels us in salvation and sanctification is grace. It's grace. We're saved by grace and we're carried along by grace as well. And as we think about tonight spiritual disciplines... What we're really talking about are habits of grace. Habits of grace. Those things that we do in our lives as believers uh, in in the wing of sanctification, 
All right? So as we talk about spiritual disciplines, we're not talking about earning salvation. That's solely of God. That's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. But on this wing of sanctification, of growing in our salvation, of becoming more Christ-like, we must also remember that that happens by grace as well. It's grace that carries us all the way. All the way. And so as we talk about spiritual disciplines, we're talking about habits of grace. These are, not, um, these are not payments that we're making, actions that we are performing to merit something from God, but rather these disciplines of grace are pipelines where we are positioning ourselves for the grace of God to flow through our lives to give us the lift that we need to carry us on in our spiritual walk. Does that make sense, what I'm saying there? You see that picture? I love the way Dave Mathis put it. He said, the spiritual disciplines are the habits of grace. He says, they are what make us receivers on God's route. Now, think of the route of the milkman or the newspaper band. If you want to think in biblical terms, think of the story of Zacchaeus or blind Bartimaeus. They could not merit the grace that Jesus gave them as they encountered him, but they could position themselves in a place to where Jesus was passing by, right? That's what Zacchaeus did. He was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And he climbed himself up the top of a sycamore tree, right? He positioned himself there. Blind Bartimaeus positioned himself. Well, that's what we're doing in spiritual disciplines, We are placing ourselves in these habits of grace along the route that Jesus comes by to dispense grace upon. It's not us earning anything from him or robbing him of anything or coercing anything from him, but it's us positioning ourselves along his route whereby grace is dispensed. So as we think about spiritual disciplines, as we think about training for godliness, we're thinking about those activities, those actions, whereby the grace of God is channeled to us uh, to, to live out the, the Christian life. And grace is the fuel uh, that does that for us, all right? So before we get to 1 Corinthians 9, just real quick, quickly, spiritual disciplines are habits of grace. They're not a measure of your spirituality. They are not unpleasant activities in your lives. Uh, You know, when we hear the word disciplines, that often can conjure up negative ideas, disciplines. Nobody wants, nobody likes, takes discipline to be on a diet, takes discipline to go to the gym, takes discipline uh, to be an Olympic athlete. And for many of us, that just kind of creates this negative connotation. Uh, But not so for the Christian, not so for the child of God. Uh, is quite the contrary. These are activities, actions. This is the outworking of our salvation um, whereby we get to enjoy uh, the grace of God and go further in our spiritual journey. And, and of course, you've heard me say it already, but spiritual disciplines are not a way to earn favor with God. They're not a way to earn favor with God. All right, so all of that being said, Training for godliness would be us growing in Christ's likeness, practicing the habits of grace, engaging in spiritual discipline so that we can have the lift and the propulsion that we need in our Christian life to carry us forward. And of course, grace is what supplies that. So with all that being said, let's look at 1 Corinthians 9, 
1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27. And I want us to, to think about the difference between training and trying. Listen to what Paul says. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So may the Lord bless this evening for us, the reading and the teaching of his word. As we think about training for godliness, I think what we've got to begin with is the mindset that is necessary for pursuing holiness, for growing in Christ-likeness, for growing in our sanctification. And there's two different mindsets competing when we talk about trying or training. I know many times as we think about these habits of grace, you know, we'll give it a try. We'll give it a try. I'll give it a shot. I'll see if I can read my Bible one day, uh, one day every day this week. I'll see if I can spend 10 minutes in prayer. I'll, I'll try. I'll try. Well, the mindset of trying seems to imply a one-shot deal, right? We'll give this a shot. May or may not work, all right? When you're training, it's an entirely different mindset, isn't it? When you're training, you're in it for the long haul, all right, so we're talking about training for godliness, not trying for godliness. It's not a one-shot deal. It's something that we're in for the long haul. When we think about trying, it's skeptical in its attempt. We'll give it a shot, see if it works. May or may not. Really have no idea. But training, when you're training, you're sure of the methods that you're employing, right? I feel like I can be very confident uh, although I've never met one to my knowledge or, or talked with one. Uh, but I feel like I can be very confident in saying tonight that an Olympic athlete does not spend time in methods of practice or exercise or equipping uh, that they don't feel like are going to prove beneficial for them. They're spending their time, they're engaging in, in their equipping process and methods that they are sure are going to produce the results that they desire. They're training. They're not trying. They're training. The other contrast between these two approaches is that in trying, many times there's very little cost. Very little cost. Not really putting much into it. But training means you're going to be willing to pay a high price can be willing to pay a high price. Uh, so it is for the Olympic athlete and every other athlete that performs at a very high level. They pay a high price. They sacrifice much. And then in trying, the mindset lacks motivation. Right? It lacks motivation. There, there's really not much there. Propelling, pushing, getting you going. But in training... The motivation is there because the mind is set on the end result. You're training for something. You're training for an outcome. You're training for the medal. You're training for the prize. 
So it has a focus on the end result, on what awaits at the outcome once the training has been completed. And Paul gives us an idea of this approach of training in 1 Corinthians 9 in the verses that we looked at. When we talk about training for godliness, I think what we're talking about is arranging our lives around those activities, those habits of grace, if you will, that will enable us to do something later that we can't do now. Right? So it's training, arranging our lives that will enable us to do something later that we perhaps can't do now or don't see now or experience now. So we're training for godliness. We're arranging our lives in such a way that we will see the outcome, the fruit of godliness born out. All right, so what does that look like? Well, Paul gives us an idea of the person who is training for godliness in our text tonight. First of all, I want you to see they have a strong desire to win. They have a strong desire to win. Now, you may think less of me tonight when you leave. But I really never could get on board with the phrase, it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. Now, I understand we need to have sportsmanship. I understand we need to treat our, our competitors with respect. I, I, I get all of that. And I understand that that's what that saying is seeming to communicate. And there's all kinds of other benefits, you know, in participating in a competitive sport, uh, regardless if you win or lose. But I believe when you step on the field, you should win. And I think if you're not going to win, I don't know why you're playing the game. You know, uh, that's just me. Y'all may not agree with me, but I kind of like keeping score. Um, So there you go. Uh, But Paul also seemed to have that mindset, right? I mean, isn't that what he said in in the text tonight? He, He seems to say that it's obvious, that it's understood. Like, don't you know? That in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you can have a good time. Run just so you can finish. Run just because it's run. No, Paul says run so that you can win. If you're in the race, run to win the race. Those who are training for godliness have to have a strong desire to win. And here's why I think that's so important. Donald Whitney in his highly respected, and I think you could even classify it as a, a classic now, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, says, Discipline without direction is drudgery. Discipline without direction is drudgery. The direction that we're going for in a race is the finish line and the prize to win. If that's not out there, it is drudgery. That's the reason practice is so, much, so, so oftentimes much more harder than the actual competition itself because nobody wins at practice, right? You just have to put in the effort. You have to feel the pain. You have to put forth the exertion and burn the energy. You have to, to invest the cost, but there's no prize given at the end of practice. But in the race, there is. There is. And that's ultimately what we've set our eyes upon. But as a Christian... We've got to be clear what that prize is. We must define the prize or winning biblically. Paul, again, helps us with this in other places in the New Testament. 
In Philippians chapter 3, uh, he, he uses similar language. He says in verse 12, I've, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says that's what we're running for. That's what we train for. That's what we invest in spiritual disciplines and habits of grace for as a child of God. This is what he told Timothy in the verse that I mentioned at the beginning, 1 Timothy 4, 7. Train yourself for godliness. For godliness. That's our prize. Growing in Christ-likeness. Growing in godliness. In Romans 8, 29, Paul says it's us becoming conformed to the image of his son. It's us being transformed in 2 Corinthians 2, 18 into one degree of glory to another. So winning for the Christian is obtaining to biblical holiness. It's, it's growing in Christ-likeness. Jerry Bridges is helpful in his definition of holiness. He says it's not a series of do's and don'ts for the Christian. He says, but rather holiness is conformity to the character of God and obedience to the will of God. So spiritual disciplines are the means whereby the grace of God fuels our life to live out the life of Christ. To grow in godliness, to be more and more like Jesus. And we've got to have the mindset that that's what we want as a Christian. I want my life to look more like Jesus' life. I want to be like Jesus, speak like Jesus, act like Jesus. I want to be like Him. There's something about that in our world today, and especially in connection with uh, the sports world. So many athletes today are models or icons for so many of our youth in our culture. They want to be like them. They want to wear the clothes they wear, wear the, uh, the paraphernalia that they wear. Uh, even in, in, I guess, the, the mid-80s, early 90s, man, I guess mid-90s, Nike latched onto this, didn't they, with Michael Jordan? Yeah, I want to be like Mike. I guess it was Gatorade, maybe not Nike, but one of them. They want to, I want to be like Mike. They want to be like somebody else. Well, Paul says for the Christian, we should want to be like Jesus. That's the prize. That's the goal. That's the finish line. Be like him. And to do that, we need to position ourselves so that grace can be dispensed in our life through the means that God has given us to fuel us and propel us uh, toward that end. So they have a strong desire. Let me ask you tonight, what's your desire for being like Christ-like? Do you have a desire to win that prize? Do you have that desire to obtain that? Do you have a desire to be more like your Savior, to be an imitator of God? They have a strong desire. Secondly, Paul tells us here in our text tonight, that those who are training, they do practice discipline. They practice discipline. He says in verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. Again, he's tying in the prize there. He's tying in what we're aiming for and, and wanting to obtain. It's the eternal, uh, eternal uh, pleasure 
of, of being with God and enjoying him and, and knowing that we will hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. But he says, in that, we exercise self-control. We exercise self-control. So discipline is a part of our sanctification. But fueling that discipline happens by grace. It happens by grace. And this is why the spiritual disciplines or the habits of grace are really so important to us. That we position ourselves in those places where grace is dispensed to us and fuels us and encourages us. The responsibility on our part is to engage in these ways in which grace is delivered. That we receive that grace and experience that grace and enjoy that grace. And so we've got to discipline ourselves to engage in those. We're, we're talking about structuring our lives around these things so that the goal can be achieved. They practice self-discipline. And then I want you to see lastly tonight that we hear in Paul's words that not only do they have a strong desire and practice self-discipline, but he tells us that they train strategically. They train strategically. Paul says, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. Paul says, I'm, I'm strategic in what I'm going about doing. He didn't employ methods that were wasteful or useless. He was strategic. And we need to do that in our Christian walk as well as we're training for godliness, as we're pursuing Christ-likeness. We need to employ the methods that God has given us whereby we experience his grace. And in the coming weeks, hopefully, we'll unpack some of them. Uh, some of these we've looked at years ago. Some others will be uh, newer for us. But we'll talk about the discipline of grace. You've heard me mention that a lot tonight. Um, but learning to live by grace is really a life-changing discipline for a child of God. That we relate to God solely by grace. Dave Mathis highlights three categories where this strategic employment of methods, means, if you will, can be engaged to help us experience the grace of God and lift us in our spiritual journey. He says if we talk about habits of grace, we can think of them first of all in hearing God's voice. And by that, he's referring to Scripture, how we engage with Scripture. God has given us uh, his word to guide us, to fuel us, to empower us. Uh, I always think about the wonderful illustration that uh, John Bunyan gives us in his, his classic work, The Pilgrim's Progress. Remember, Christian had his map on his journey, had his map to lead and to guide him in the area that he should go and to encourage him along uh, that journey. That's God's Word and how we engage with God's Word uh, in particular manners and means and methods will fuel our sanctification, will uh, dispense grace to, to our lives. So we need to hear God's voice. And then he talks about, secondly, having God's ear. Having God's ear. He's talking about the discipline of prayer. And how we use prayer as a means of grace that God has given us. A 
And then third, he talks about fellowshipping with God's body. I love what Mathis does with this one. He, he, he sees the habit of fellowshipping with the church, of being with brothers and sisters in Christ as a means, a method by which the grace of God is deposited into our lives that fuels us in our sanctification. I think we can quickly think of the, the customary disciplines of grace, right? The disciplines uh, that lead us in, in godliness. Uh, prayer, obviously, we talked about. Uh, fasting, Bible reading, we mentioned. Meditation, uh, evangelism, stewardship. All of these are certainly spiritual disciplines whereby grace can be experienced. But I think Mathis is exceptionally helpful in that he calls us to recognize that we receive grace and find our faith fueled as we gather faithfully with the church. As we gather with brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we'll talk about that uh, in the weeks to come on Wednesday nights. But I hope tonight that you'll ask the Lord to give you a mindset. That you'll be a believer who will train for godliness. A strong desire to become more like Jesus Christ. To employ the means and the methods of grace that he has given us. In a strategic fashion to live for him. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the time you've blessed us with tonight. And Lord, we do ask that you would help us to be a people who run the race well. And God, that we would run to obtain not something that is uh, temporary or passing away, but that we would run to receive uh, the imperishable reward of Christ's likeness, of holiness, of hearing you say, well done, good and faithful servant. So Father, would you... Um, Lord, would you let your grace fuel us in this? Help us to remember that, uh, yes, there is effort and energy that, that we are called to uh, put forth, uh, responsibility that we bear. But God, um, Lord, even as we work out our salvation, it is you who is working in us to see your will and good pleasure done. So, Father, may grace fuel us in this. Father, thank you for this time tonight. Bless those who have been here. And Father, may your word continue to work in us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.